Hi, this is Yolanda. I'm reading to you from the memoirs of President Joseph Smith III, 1832-1914. And we're on page 120. And the heading is Another Dream. This is at the end of chapter 14. Enjoy. While on the subject of dreams, I will relate something which happened a number of years later. A young man by the name of Alexander McCallum, the son of Scotch parents born in or near the province of Quebec, across the line from New York State, had drifted into the United States in search of work. He had finally come to Plano and found employment in the Harvester Manufacturing Works there. He began attending our meetings and Sunday school, bringing with him, in his earnestness, a small, well-bound pocket Bible, a gift from someone at home. After some months of his this attendance, one morning as I entered the church, I saw this Bible lying on one of the benches. I picked it up and when the young man came in, took it to him. He refused to take it, saying, I used to think I knew something about that book and what it teaches, but now I am certain I do not. My coming to these meetings and this school has upset all my previous ideas, and I do not now think I will ever have any use for the Bible again. However, he continued to attend our meetings for a while longer, and then went away from the town, thinking to blot from his memory the things he had heard and learned which had so disturbed him. He did not stay away long and when he returned to he requested baptism which I was glad to administer in the presence of brother David B. Pomeroy and it may be added a drenching rain. Later this earnest young man asked the hand in marriage of my eldest daughter Emma then in her 18th year. The ceremony was performed on a New Year's Day, 1875, by, uh, by Brother Milton B. Oliver, an elder who had come from Kansas to assist in the work of the Herald Office and to edit and manage the Zion's Hope, a paper for children. The couple moved up to Turner Junction, a small place on the Northwestern Railway, above Geneva, and subsequently removed to a village called Hinckley in DeKalb County, where Brother McCallum began the practice of dentistry. There was also a creamery in this town, the proprietor of which had fitted out an upper room for use as a public hall. Brother McCallum, being interested in the spread of our message, secured this hall for preaching services and requested me to come up, which I did. I spoke to a fair-sized audience and apparently made a favourable impression. An appointment for further services two weeks ahead was announced. One night during the week before I was to keep my second appointment at Hinckley, I had the following dream. I dreamed that I drove over to my son-in-law's house, reaching there in the early afternoon. It was a very pleasant evening apparently an early fall, and I spent the hours until supper time in conversation with him and his wife. 
After supper, my son-in-law proposed that we we take a walk. We went out and, as if in doubt which way to go, stood a little while on the street in front of the house. Then he said, let us go down to Marilla and Wagner's store. I should like to have you get acquainted with them, especially with Mr. Wagner. He claims to be an infidel. He has been away from home a while and was very sick. At one time it was thought he could not live, but he has recovered, returned home and thought not fully restored to his usual good health. Is able to be about in his store. So we went down to the store and I was introduced to Mr Merrill and Mr Wagner. We engaged in conversation rather general at first, but afterwards drifting to religious topics. Very soon Mr Wagner stated his belief, his disbelief in God or in the idea that any special providence ever inter- intervenes in the affairs of men. He said he believed that when a man died, he was simply blotted out of existence and that was all there was to it. That there was no hereafter in which man would have to do any accounting for the way he had lived here or for the way he had carried or shifted his responsibility while in the flesh. He advocated theory that all these so-called supernatural interventions of providence, of visions or dreams or anything of that kind, could easily be accounted for by human reasoning and that they were all dependent upon human agency and origin. He expressed his conviction that he was quite able to satisfactorily account for everything of the kind he had ever heard. Then I related to him my dream about the man coming to my house and offering money to finish building the meeting house in Plano and of its literal fulfilment the next day, as I have told it in another part of this chapter. The dream was still clear and distinct in my mind and I related it carefully and exactly and then added, Now, Mr. Wagner, it is written... Let me start that again. Now, Mr. Wagner, it is within your power to verify what I have told you so far as the money transaction which really happened is concerned. For the man who furnished the money trades here at your store. His name is Samuel Williams, and you may question him as much as you please and build whatever theory you may to account for what happened. If you can explain it on the basis of purely human agency or by any similar philosophy of your own, you will do more than has anyone else to whom I have hitherto related the circumstances. You will consider that after the incident I asked Mr Williams about his motivations and learned that the idea of offering the money to the building committee at Plano did not occur to him until within the next hour he delivered it into my hands for he immediately turned in the direction of our place and drove rapidly there. I had told my dream at the office in the morning some hours before the idea itself had occurred to Mr Williams according to his own statements. Now Mr Wagner, how in the light of all this 
will you undertake to account for it? Would you explain it by calling it mental telepathy or unconscious cerebration? With such a lapse of time between the hours of the dream itself and my relation of it in the morning and the late forenoon when it was first presented to Mr. Williams' consciousness. He seemed somewhat dazed to use a common expression and admitted that he had nothing within his reach upon which he could base an explanation to satisfactorily account for the experience. Now all this foregoing, be it remembered, happened in a dream which I had following my first visit to Hinckley. The Saturday after the dream, I went over to my son-in-law's to fulfil the engagement to preach there on Sunday. It was just such a beautiful day as I had noted in my dream, and I arrived a short while after their noon meal. We chatted the afternoon hours away and ate our supper together. After supper, Alexandra and I went out to walk, and the hesitation at the edge of the walk occurred, just as in my dream. He said, Father Smith, let us go down to the store. I would like to have you get acquainted with Mr. Wagner and Mr. Merrill, the storekeepers. Mr. Merrill is a Christian believer of a sort, but Mr. Wagner is not. Mr. Wagner has been very sick, very sick, but has recovered enough to get down to the store. Before he finished speaking of Mr. Wagner, the incidents of my recent vivid dream flashed into my mind, and as we walked on, I felt prepared for the events and conversation that would ensue should my dream be further literally followed out. We went into the store, my son-in-law introduced me to the gentleman, and our conversation began by Mr. Wagner's telling of an telling of an ang of an eagle. Sorry, let me start that again. We went into the store, my son-in-law introduced me to the gentleman, and our conversation began by Mr. Wagner's telling of an eagle that had been sent him by someone in the northwest which he was having mounted to place as an ornament in the store. From this, from this incident and a mention of his illness, the conversation drifted into religious topics, when he soon expressed himself as discarding all, all ideas of divine intervention or that any such power had been exercised in his behalf in raising him from his sickbed. From this beginning, he went on to state his disbelief in God and Christ, the latter's intervention for the sake of humanity, and the entire idea of the existence of any special providence or watch care from a supreme being. Then I related the dream I had had about Mr. Williams and its outcome. He, Mr. Merrill, and some others who had gathered about us in the store, listened very attentively. I finished by telling him he could verily he could verify the material facts as Mr Samuel Williams 
was one of the patrons of his store, though I pointed out clearly that in the dream I had not recognised the man who came and offered me the money. He He had seemed like a total stranger. When I thought... Sorry, when I was through, I asked Mr. Wagner how we could account for the incident. He seemed very much puzzled and apparently lost in thought for a time. Then he confessed that it was the first circumstance he had ever heard of for which he had not a simple and plausible human explanation, um, satisfactory to himself at least. I told him I was under the impression that such experiences were for some special purpose in this instance to supply us with the means for finishing our church building and to prepare me for accepting the offer when it came. Then I went on to tell the little company that only the week before I had dreamed of the very conversations which was then taking place in that store. The whole process, step by step, having been so far faithfully carried out, I told him I had dreamed that he had been sick while away from home, very sick, near unto death, but that he had recovered partially enough to come back to his business, and that I had heard him express himself in regard to this, to his disbelief in God and supernatural influences. My statement and testimony seemed to impress the little crowd grouped, and the next day there was a full house of interested listeners at our preaching service. The readers of these memoirs are at liberty to speculate upon the philosophy of these two dreams as they will. The one seemed to be a collateral or sequel to the other, since in my second dream I had related the first one using it as a challenge to the scoffing disbelief of a professional infidel. Brother McCallum has told me that frequently in conversation with Mr. Wagner after that day, the gentleman always acknowledged that what I had told him had staggered him in his position more than anything he had ever encountered. He had often talked with ministers, elders and members of the various churches, but had never met one who had related any such uh, strange experiences and admitted that he was completely at a loss for any theory that could explain them. The reader may well surmise that such occurrences as these dreams serve to make clearer to my understanding the statement made by the prophet Joel 2, 21 and 29. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. That's the end of chapter 14. I'm going to leave that there.
and carry on with chapter 15 in a different episode. Thank you for listening.